This morning we will be going to Psalm 22, and let me begin reading with verse 8. Let's just back up to verse 7, that'll start the sentence, and then we'll read down through verse 10. So 7 through 10, and we will actually be looking at verse 10 itself uh, as the one that we'll be opening up. This again is the words of our Lord, as you know. And he says here, as he is suffering the great agonies on the cross, he says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Again, the verse that we want to look at this morning and spend some time on is verse 10. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now, because of the words that we see mentioned there in verse 8, and I know these are the words of Christ as he's speaking them, but he's saying the things, of course, which the, some of his enemies out in the crowds were saying. And from that, then, we see the reason for his words that are found in verses 9 and 10. The enemies of Christ were deriding him, and the particular thing that they were mocking him about and laughing him to scorn was the fact, one of the things, of course, was his trust in God. He trusted in the Lord. And, of course, now it looks like God has abandoned him. And, of course, in the scheme of things, God did forsake him for a point. But, of course, they don't know all of this. They, this is something that's foreign to their thinking and their ideas. So they're just simply making fun of him, mocking him, and deriding him. And our Lord then, in verses 9 and 10, responds with the words that we see here. Part of the words which we actually read this morning. And his words are words of response to God as he affirms his trust in him. You see, the crowds are saying, You're not tr- he doesn't trust in God. He's not, his trust is, is in vain. And Christ returns back to his Father, but that's not true. I have trusted. You have been all these things to me. You've been with me from the very beginning, from my conception all the way to this point here. So not only says these things in affirmation, we also believe here that these are the reasons and some of the arguments with God And for God to help him, for God to assist him. Because after all, he is going through this great affliction at this point and at this moment, and he desires that God would be with him. So as we read verses 9 and 10, that's sort of the context behind all of that. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's breasts belly. Now my aim in this lesson or sermon is to open up the clauses that are actually found there in verse 10. So beginning here, let's look at the first clause where he says here in verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Now this clause or this phrase of this particular passage, as with all of verse 9, refers to our Lord Jesus recalling God's providential care and provident uh, and mercies towards him that is in the past 
So as our Lord is hanging there, what he's thinking about is not only the things that he has heard, not only the great wrath of God bearing down upon him, but he's also considering at this point his life as it has been in the hands of God Almighty from the beginning. As far as our Lord's human nature is concerned, he was cared for by God from the time of his birth or even his conception and onward. And our Lord Jesus here in the midst of his agonies and the sufferings, he acknowledges that he was under this special care and protection of God. Now our phrase there in verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb, denotes that uh, he was put, as we would say, into the hands of God from the very beginning. He was put into the hands of God. Now as I have pointed out, in the conception and his birth and his and all things that followed is but the results, of course, of God's care and God's providence upon him. And so all the things that came upon him, whether that took place in the womb, outside of the womb, as he was growing up as the God man there in Palestine. And, and now as he is here hanging upon the cross, all of this was in, of course, the purpose and plan of God. And as that's being worked out, you know, remember, we call that his uh, we call that God's providence, the doing of these things. And Christ, of course, was the special object of God's care because this is what's brought him to this very point. So the dangers and the evils that surrounded infancy, of course, would be very great, just as today. After all, we live in a, a world that is fallen, and so we have, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but we have the results of sin. And without the watchful and powerful eye upon a God, that whole process of, of conception and birth and growing, uh, that's a, that's a, it's actually a dangerous thing. And if it wasn't for God's hand upon all that, it doesn't matter whether it would be the Lord or whether it would be us, we would surely perish because this is, this is a dangerous thing, being a young child. Because there are great and many evils that attend us upon that activity. The Lord's body, his health, and his welfare was in danger as he had our nature and was in subject to a fallen world. And of course, we know one of the results of being in a fallen world is death. And death affects everyone. It affects everyone from, can affect everyone from conception until the last day that they're here upon this earth. And the reason for that, of course, is sin. We live in a world that has been cursed by sin. And one of those curses is that we die. And oftentimes we can die from in the womb. We can die out in birth and we can die later on and so there are a multitude of dangers that surround uh, the birth of a child it's not a, it's not an easy matter it's a difficult matter and those dangers are true both for the child and also you know for the mother you remember the curse upon the woman that God pronounced to her in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. 
Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. But the first part of that verse, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. One of those sorrows can be death. As Solomon calls it, an untimely death. A death that's early. So there are those dangers. And when we see the birth of Christ and His infancy, there were dangers and evils that were particular to Him. And we looked at that, of course, briefly last time. And you remember, uh, as we think of these things, of course, the Lord's life was in danger. You know, even before His death, for that matter, uh, you know, there were times in which evil men were raised up and one of their purposes in Bible history that we see was to rid uh, the Jews from the earth, to, to kill all of the offspring of Israel. And of course, if that was to take place, then there would have been no Christ. Because we know that Christ, as far as his human nature was concerned, he was a Jew. So we're, we're pretty well set on the fact that Satan raised up these men in order to rid the Jewish people from the earth. And of course, as I said, this would have prevented the Lord from coming. But of course, this wasn't going to happen. And you know why? Because God had his special care and his eye over his people and also over the Lord Jesus Christ. And surely the devil would have had his place, he would have had his plots down through history in order to do this. But God, of course, prevented it. That's his providence, as we call it. Now, notice the clause again. That's just generally speaking about this. But let's notice a little closer the clause. He says, I was cast upon thee from the womb. This casting is in reference of our Lord being, as we would say, entrusted to God's care. So you see the fact there, he's, in, he's cast upon thee. That just simply means that he was put in the care of God and he was watched over and he was tended to and he was guarded by God himself. It's interesting, the word for uh, cast here is also translated in other places to throw, to, to hurl, or to fling out. That's how we see that word translated. Now I know this doesn't necessarily mean anything, and, and sometimes it can give us an idea of the word itself, but not always. The word cast is used, for instance, in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 10. This is when there were some problems that Sarah was having with uh, Hagar, the, the handmaiden that was uh, handmaiden to uh, Abraham. And you know, when the scriptures there, it says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And so the casting forth here would have been towards an evil thing. Get rid of her. Get her out of my household. I don't want him, her, or that boy near our son Isaac. So he was to be cast out, or she was to be cast out. Now, if this word does have that connotation of those particular things, I said, imagine the image 
that is planted into the mind by saying that. That our Lord Jesus was cast upon the Lord. Our Lord was thrown out. He was hurled. But in saying that, though, it's not this kind of an idea that he was just hurled out or thrown out and had no idea where he was going to land. That's not what he means here. This is not what our Lord means, and that's definitely not what took place. His being thrown out or cast out was purposeful. There was a purpose behind it. There was a target. For instance, like if you're throwing a baseball or a softball, you're usually throwing at it something. And your target is what you're trying to hit or you're trying to get it within a certain uh, amount of space for the batter so that he would miss, so to speak. But this is, not, this is the case here. The, the Lord Jesus was pitched or thrown out and there was a target. And that target, of course, was the Lord his God. It was his heavenly Father. Now the word in our passage here can also have the idea of trusting. Psalm 55 verse 22, for instance, says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And so what we're to do, we're to roll our burdens, he's teaching us here, upon God. We're to give, I hate to use this phrase, but you give them to God, as I hear oftentimes. But the idea is you're trusting in God to take care of your business. You know that you're in good hands when you know that God is taking care of things. And so the Lord here was cast forth or he was thrown unto God in hopes of his care and his safety. And this is what our Lord, this is what he has in his mind as he's being crucified here. That I was cast forth from the womb unto the very hands of God. Now the second thing I want us to notice about this phrase is, he says here, I was cast upon thee. Now is this what they call passive or is it active? By passive, I simply mean by this. The Lord didn't cast himself upon God, but actively someone cast it forth. In other words, who or what did the casting here? Was it the Lord himself, that is the Lord Jesus, cast his care upon God from that time? Or did someone else cast him forth unto God? If it is the Lord himself, then it speaks of our Lord's trust in God from the earliest of times regarding his infancy. And here, as I mentioned, this would involve that great mysterious interaction of the divine nature with his human nature. It would have to have been supernatural. Normally... An infant or a newborn is not conscious of its surroundings. It has no idea if it's in danger or not. It doesn't realize something of the evils or the dangers that surround infancy. A child just doesn't know that. And our Lord, and again, thinking about this, our Lord Jesus, as He did possess true humanity would be subject to those evils as well. That is the idea that uh, he could be hurt or uh, evil come upon him. 
So then somehow, some way, if it is the Lord who cast himself upon the Lord himself, then somehow, some way, his divine nature communicated with his human nature. And again, I'll leave that for the theologues because that's about all I can say about all that. I don't know. But if it's done in an active sense, that is that someone else was doing the activity here, then who? Most commenting upon this, that is the commentators, as you read things about Psalm 22 in regards to verse 10, they say it's in regards to his mother and, of course, Joseph. They were the ones who cast the Lord to the good care of God himself. If this is so, then of course they must have realized there was something unique about this child. There was something unique about our Lord's conception. There was something unique about him. Because you remember the angels had come to Joseph and explained some things to him. The angel had appeared unto Mary and had explained some things unto her. And because then of this big, we would say, responsibility that was there, they as it were, trusted in God to take care of it. That they would, uh, that God would see them through all of this. Because as God has begun this good work of Christ coming into the world, they would, of course, trust God that He would complete it. Thus they believed and trusted that God would intervene in any kind of troubles or any kind of dangers or evils that might arise around them. Which, of course... We know that their hope, their confidence, and their trust wasn't disappointed, was it? They weren't made to be ashamed, as the Scripture uses that phrase. Confounded. They weren't. They were not disappointed in that. So, that is what it could mean. That it was just Mary and Joseph throwing Christ upon God to see that He's taken care of. There is also the sense that it was God his father could have done so. In the whole realm and the scheme of things, of course, this would be true. God, who is the, in the fullness of times, you remember, sent forth Christ to be born under the law and so forth, born as a son. Uh, you remember in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, we see that God particularly prepared a body for Christ as he came into the world. He says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst, not, thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God, yea, thy law which is within my heart. And the writer of Hebrews affirms as us that that's speaking of Christ as he was given a human nature. So it could have been God, just in the scheme of things. And then there's also another sense in which this could be so. The words of our clause could be spoken of in a general way. By simply saying, as in all who are born, all who are conceived, in all events, in all seasons that comes upon an infant, that that, that child is simply entrusted unto the Lord to be cared for. Not meaning that the child itself was doing the trusting or in meaning that uh, Mary or Joseph was doing the trusting, but just it was just God's overruling providence and care over the children of men 
who are born. And God does do it that way. Just again, every birth in one sense is unique. Every conception is unique. Thinking how all that works and getting a child through that stage of the process of growing in the, in the mother's womb and then finally going through the birth canal and being born. That's not an easy matter. Ask any mother here that's here this morning and she would tell you this is a difficult thing. And there are dangers that are common to that. But God as a whole sees that the birthing process goes through. I mean, the number of people who are born and born healthy outranks all those who are dead or death in the womb or outside of the womb or deformities and such as that. There are many, many, many normal births. Well, why? Because God arranges it that way. Psalm 71, verse 6, By thee have I been holden up from the womb, David says. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Isaiah 46, verse 3, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. So you say, which is it? I don't know. Depends on how you want to look at that particular. All of them would be true in one sense, would it not? We know that Mary and Joseph trusted the Lord. God, Christ, could have, if his divine nature was communicating with his human nature, would have done so. And as well, in the general providence of God, this would be so. But the which, I can't say for sure. Not smart enough to do stuff like that. The second thing I want us to know is, or to look at, is the last part of this verse, or the final clause. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. And I see from the clock I'll have to be brief here. The first clause, our Lord Jesus here is acknowledging that He was entrusted upon God, no matter how that was to come to pass. This clause, he acknowledges that God was his God from the womb. Now, as his enemies, again, think of the context here, as his enemies in the crowd before him was, in so many words, denying that God was his God and that he was his son. The crowd would have nothing of that. But Jesus here knows the truth of it. You have been my God from my mother's belly. He affirms, though, as they're denying it, that he believes it to be true. You're my God from my mother's womb. Now, his enemies from the crowd would have known several things in relationship to this. As Jews, they would all acknowledge that God was their God. Because God, you remember in the past, had coveted with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob that he was going to have these people as a nation. And he would be their God, just in general providence and all those things over them. They would be their God. They would have realized that. And they would have, have admitted that any Jew that was alive or had been born or who had been alive, his God would have been God. They would have admitted that. Every Israelite, every Jew could say that. 
And they would affirm that to be true. But the crowds are not having that. The crowds recognize and know that Jesus Christ is a Jew. They, none of them, none, no scripture in the New Testament would even hint to the fact that he was not a Jew. They, they never, the Jews of that day accepted that. That's true. They did call him, uh, say that his father was the devil, Beelzebub. But as far as him being a Jew, there was no, no doubts of that. And yet here among their hypocrisies and among their many inconsistencies, here is a Jew hanging before them, and yet they're even denying here that Jesus God was their God. You see, they'll have none of that. This is just more of their mocking, more of their deriding, more of their derision that they're piling up there on the Lord Jesus. But he says, no, that's not so. You have been my God from my mother's belly. From the time of my conception and all the process of my forming inside my mother's room, you have been my God. And so Jesus here is expressing his hope and his confidence in this very truth. One commentator said regarding this point about thou hast been my God from my very childhood, he says he had loved God as such. He had obeyed Him as such. He had trusted Him as such. And now he pleads this as a reason why God should interpose for him. They're denying it in the crowd, but he's not. In fact, he would have been a liar if he'd have said otherwise. If he'd have went along with the crowds, he would have been a liar and thus not our Savior. But in reality, he was speaking the truth. It's amazing here. He begins this cry there in verse 1 by saying, My God, my God. And then as we come down to verse 2, he says something like that again. Oh, by God. And then when we get down to verse 10, he admits it again. Thou art my God. So three phrases this so far speaking of that very truth, that God is His God. And our Lord Jesus here confessed it. He acknowledges it in His crucifixion. And He says, this has been true all the way back from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now, not only was it true, but as we said from the beginning here in this exposition that... Uh, he not only says it because it's true, these are, this, is, this is just another argument that our Lord gives for God to be with him, to God to tend to him now. He wants God to know, look, you've been by God from the beginning, from the very start, and I trust you. And as you are my God, then hear me and answer my petitions. Let me close with just really two basic things to say. And this is more of an application to us, I believe. First of all, we need to realize something of the overruling providence of God in our lives. Now, we've said this over and over, but it does need to be underscored again because that's what we're seeing here. 
how that God's special care was upon the Lord. And it is true of us as well. As we are God's elect, we are the objects of God's special care and providence over us. Now, he has a special care, or no, he has a care and providence over everyone, no doubt. But to his own people, there is a special watchful over us. He cares greatly. He loves us. The rest, he leaves to themselves. So it's a marvelous thing here to realize that God, just as he watched over his son in a special way, watches over us as his people. And nothing will befall us that God is not using for the good of his people. We all know Romans 8, verse 28. The second and the last thing here is that our, our Lord here gives us an example of how to handle the mockings we receive in this world. And it also, I think, shows us here as an example how to deal with the afflictions and those hard times and sorrows that come upon us. Because we all have them. No one can sit here and say, well, I'm a happy Christian from the moment I was saved to the moment I died. That's just, that's just not real. It's not honest. And it's a lie. God's people have their troubles. God's people have their problems. God's people has their sadness and disappointments in their life. What do we do with them? How do we handle them? Well, there are many things I could say, but I think the context here, what we've been looking at, gives to this truth. We turn those things into petitions to God. We turn those things as arguments to God in prayer. We can say, look, I'm sore disappointed today. Something has happened or something's going to happen. Look what's ha- or look what has happened. And use those as petitions. To you. Look, you've been my God from the beginning. Hear me. Look to me. Or look what they're saying about me at my work. Look what they're saying about me and my family. Look at the mean things they tell of me. The lies they spread. But I know it's not true because you're my God for the beginning. You see, we turn those things, those, those sorrows, those afflictions, those deriding and those mockings into arguments for God to answer. Uh, complaints that he wants us to, to, to hear from us. He said, well, he already knows that. Yeah, I know that too. I'm not a dummy. I know he knows that. But he wants us to voice those things to him. I mean... Did not God know what Jesus was going through here in Psalm 22? You say, yes. And that would be true. But isn't Christ here repeating these things to his Father at this point? Yes, it is true. So again, this is an example to us. We are to, and again, he already knows it, but we're to inform God of our difficulties and our trials and our adversities. Because this is what he ordains for us to do. Will it necessarily relieve the sorrow and pain? I don't know. That's all in God's dealings with us. But it is something we ought to do. Something we can do. We have a privilege before the throne of grace to do so. So let us make good use of that. And for the glory of God and for the good of ourselves in that. Or for the good of others in these things. Well, we'll stop there.
And Lord willing, we'll pick up verse 11 uh, next time. May God bless that to us.